I'm Naz, I'm from TNA. My background is um, I'm from Ghana and Togo, but obviously, as you can tell by my speech, I'm from the UK. <laughs> yeah, so if you could give us a, an intro so we could find out who this amazing person we're talking to today, that would be, that would be great. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Leslie Turner. And I am a Black American. Um, I don't, you know, I can, I never can identify an American accent, but I'm pretty sure I have one. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I, I actually recently did my African ancestry DNA, and I found out that I'm Cameroonian. Wow. So that was really cool. Um, I found out I'm 90, 99.9% t-car um on my mom's side so i haven't done my dad's side yet but um that was really profound finding that out and um i also have caribbean and uh central american lineage as well um and i'm here in america i actually live in las vegas nevada and i am an organizer here um, working on Black liberation, um, abolitionist organizing. Um, I do a lot of work around police violence and um, ending mass incarceration, but really trying to expand that, that organizing around Black liberation to include um, really connecting with the diaspora and really just uh, building with Black people all over the world that are also fighting for liberation, that are also kind of experiencing the same type of oppressions that we're experiencing here in America or in the United States. And um, yeah, <laughs> that's me. That was a great intro. I love how you mentioned uh, you finding out your lineage on your mom's side and how profound that is that is for you this is very diverse actually which is which is very interesting um I hope that like obviously like you said through finding out that brings like a new joy in your life and another thing for you to you know try and connect with or identify with if that's what you wish to do definitely it, yeah. it's it's one of, I think for me, it was just, um, it was, it was something else for me to uh, kind of like restore what was taken from, you know, my mm -hmm. ancestors. Um, and that was, you know, our identity and our memory of like where we came from. So being able to find that out was just like, wow you know so I definitely plan to go to Cameroon I have a Cameroonian sister who's also in the fight um she's gonna take me out there and um mm. you know I've been like going crazy going down rabbit holes looking at <laughs> everything google you know but um mm. it's just it is kind of like like I said the restoration of that lost connection at least to some degree um you know, it's just really exciting, especially for like my entire family. Because mm -hmm. it's not just you, it's like your maternal lineage. So it's like, that's my mom's lineage, her mom's lineage. So um, it was awesome. I love, I actually love to hear that, man. That, that makes me quite happy. It's, it's a great thing when someone can connect dots for themselves. It's, it really is. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's amazing to hear. Just going to go straight into the questions. The first question is, what does Pan-Africanism mean to you and why do you feel that it's important? Um, so Pan-Africanism to me just means that as like Black, I'm speaking from like a Black American perspective, um, that Black Americans, like we have to, understand and embrace um, our identity as Africans in the diaspora. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, we've been very disconnected from that because uh, I, I see a lot more um, Pan-Africanism in other countries where Black people reside throughout the diaspora versus like Black Americans. <clears throat> so I think that that's something that we really have to cultivate 
and work on. Mm-hmm. And then we also have to be a commitment to building bridges and um, making connections with other Africans in the diaspora and on the continent as well. Um, and I, I also think that Pan-African, Pan-Africanism is kind of like the path to liberation that we're seeking and that we're fighting for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm in this work um, doing, you know, organizing and, and trying to dismantle systems and, you know, going up against the police. Um, and, you know, it's, by the way, it's, it's very dangerous to do this work as well for Black people. Um, mm-hmm. But in that work, it's like, yeah, that, that also, that has to happen, <clears throat> but we also have to be building. We also have to be um, preparing for kind of like the world on the other side of all of this. And that world has to be inclusive of black people all over the world because they're all, we're all fighting the same struggles and the same, um, the same oppression and the same kind of things that are rooted in white supremacy. Um, this past summer, uh, during you know, we had an uprising here in the United States due to the killing of George Floyd, um, who the officer who killed him is currently on trial, mm-hmm. and um, Breonna Taylor, um, who was you know killed in her bed while she was sleeping. And I, I think that it was also like a tipping point um, for us here in, in in America because it all happened like during the midst of a pandemic. Yeah, you know, and it was like, dang, y'all can't, y'all can't even stop killing us, and it's like we're in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I think that was really why, like, um, we had already had the the rug kind of like pulled out from under us uh, mm-hmm. with, with no safety net uh, due to the virus, and then um, so like in the midst of Black people disproportionately dying from COVID, um, you know, the there was like food insecurity, like, you know, lines and lines of people, you know, and, you know, getting food boxes and, and job scarcity. Mm-hmm. Um, the healthcare system wasn't, is not adequate. Um, you know, a crazy election cycle, all these things kind of like um, built up this kind of nexus. And then it was like, and y'all still killing us. So, you know, people risk death. They risk going and getting the virus to be in the streets in mass. Um, so I think it was a really profound moment, but I remember for me, um, watching a video that like really brought me to tears was in the UK, it was in London and it was just like thousands of people in the street out there just in solidarity with us. And, mm-hmm. um, I think that for me, it, it let us know, like, we're not alone in this because sometimes it really does feel isolative, but. Uh, we're not alone in this and like our brothers and sisters around the world have our back and I think we have to continue to cultivate that and build off of that and and take it further than just like mobilization mm-hmm. we need to get into really organizing really uh, building strategy together on how we bring about global liberation for black people um, you know on a larger scale uh, I, I agree with that I think you've you touched on so many interesting things and this is why I've, I find that during this whole process of you know talking to people so many I've come across so many different perspectives from so many different people from around the world and yeah I definitely 100% think that last summer was it was it was different you know like from the perspective of somebody in the UK, you know, we saw, you know, we saw Trayvon Martin, we saw Mike Brown, we saw Tamir Rice, we saw Philando Castile, we saw Oscar Grant, we saw all these people that preceded Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, but something just felt different about this year. Um, I mean, last summer something completely changed I'm not sure whether it was the fact that we were in a pandemic and like you said we were like wow you're still killing us even though you know our people are disproportionately affected by the virus like do 
are you do you just feel like we're not dying fast enough for you that like you don't have any sympathy even you know when the whole world is is at risk of dying from you know from this virus like I'm not sure what it was that fueled this summer but that energy and that spirit it was very much giving pan-Africanism it was it was very much just the, the international solidarity. It was crazy to, to say the least. I felt like we all saw each other. I feel like that was a great manifestation of, 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 of Pan-African spirit and ideology. And I just wanted to say, I feel like, I think you mentioned that you, you noticed that in America, they don't really engage in Pan-Africanism as much as, the, you know the rest of the diaspora and I found that interesting because I, I find then again I'm an outsider so um, I could be saying things that just you know is different but I find it interesting how how you mentioned that because I mean I understand that there's not unity 100% across the board for various reasons but I think there's a there's a culture in America or at least from the outside looking in of like supporting black people um but then again that that is limited you know sometimes it's just protects black cisgendered men you know so I understand but I, I mean I do see you know the whole support black people uplift each other that kind of thing growing so you know th- there's definitely hope there's definitely hope for that I think yeah, I mean, I think it's and and there there are a lot of people who are trying like that are kind of trying to build out um, more work around the diaspora, and I think um, in particular in my work where I'm kind of immersed in movement all the time, um, you know. I was, you know, I'm a fellow with Law for Black Lives. Um, I'm an organizer with the Mass Liberation Project. I, um, I'm in spaces with, you know, movement for Black Lives. I'm organizing with, you know, different hubs of Black people all over the country. Mm-hmm. And in those discussions and in those spaces, especially when we were able to convene and able to, uh, you know, be together uh, prior to the virus, um, you know, we talk about mass organizing strategies and it's kind of just like sometimes it's like crickets when I'm like okay well you know diaspora organizing needs to be a conversation Mm -hmm. as far as a path to liberation it's kind of just like um yeah (laughs) you know it's like we we see it and um it, it I think it does it creates like a emotional satisfaction but Mm -hmm. we're so you know inundated with oppression here we're so kind of like um just drowning in white supremacy all the time and trying to like stay above water while also being in this fight because like myself I'm I'm directly impacted you know I do most of the issues that I work around are around mass incarceration and I myself have been impacted by the criminal justice system, which means I've been in a cage. So, you know, you're living these things and then you're also fighting and trying to dismantle these things. And so it weighs on you. So it's like, you know, we have to focus on our material conditions right now, right now here in America, here in our cities, here in our neighborhoods. So um, I think diaspora organizing is, is, it, it becomes more of like this thing that in the future we can build, but we might not have the resources or the capacity to like work on that right now. So um, I don't know if that helps give you like a little context. No, hundred percent. It does. It, it absolutely does. I wanted to ask, has your idea of Pan-Africanism changed over time? And what does, pan-africanism look like to you in the future um yeah i think my idea um of pan-africanism is i've i think i mostly looked at it as something outside of myself 
like you know a movement led by greats that mm-hmm. I needed to join <laughs> yeah. rather than seeing it as something within me yeah. that I needed to connect to um and then also seeing it it's more than a political ideology you mm-hmm. know or like a political identity it's it's really just like it's an orientation in the world and so I think I've kind of shifted in that sense as I've been digging in more into like my personal lineage and then um also like getting more into african spirituality versus mm-hmm. um kind of like western religion that you know most black people most black americans grew up with you know the black church mm-hmm. so um trying to shift but also recognizing that there's still connections there like there's still um africanisms in the black church as well so it's just mm-hmm. um kind of like investigating those things I think for me is also a part of pan-Africanism so it isn't necessarily just the political arm like although the political part is is like a huge part of it um Mm -hmm. and then uh I think it's also like unhinging ourselves and our minds from the indoctrinations of white supremacy yeah. And and I think that's one of the hardest things, especially in organizing, you know, you're gathering impacted people and you're talking about the things that we go through. And it's really hard to have to like tell a black person like, yo, that's white supremacy, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Or like your what you're talking about comes from, you know, a European mindset and we have to disconnect from that. You know, and that goes from everything, like from language to uh, what we consider ghetto, what we mm-hmm. what we consider acceptable. Um, it's just it's just so deep, you know. It's so deeply ingrained, and um, I think disconnecting, unattaching from those ideologies, and kind of like reprogramming ourselves is also a part of Pan Africanism and like what we need to do. We have to connect back to the original ways in which um in which you know we we just exist together and that concept is also related to abolition and you know that's the work that I'm doing right now is you know abolition organizing and so in abolition we talk a lot about harm and how you know everybody either has been harmed or will inflict harm on another person at some point in their lives mm-hmm. and it's like how do we address that harm how do, and you know we've only been taught punishment you know that is the united states way mm-hmm. which i'm and even like that's why i keep kind of like trying to shift back to like saying united states versus america because mm-hmm. even that mm-hmm. comes from white supremacy yeah. you know yeah. what i mean mm-hmm. um because this is not america like america <laughs> was, you know is is the South, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, so even that is just like in our language, trying to really be cognizant and and break away from the things that are just so ingrained in us. We don't even like recognize it. Yeah. Trying, but in terms of like punishment, uh, the United States teaches us that, you know, that is you have to punish someone that breaks a social norm or that commits harm. That's the only way that they can grow for men. It's like, really like that's the only that's that's the only possibility that's the only way that's the only um pathway to redemption is by punishing and so you know that's a huge part of abolition trying to break away from that but like when you're bringing groups of black people together to talk about this it's like you know it's a struggle because it's all we know and and it's all we've been shown um in terms of like media um, you know, the longest running show in United States history is uh, cops. So, you know, mm. cops literally <laughs> is black people being paraded ap- across screens on, in cuffs mm. over and over and over and over again, a show that's been syndicated for over 30 years. So um, that's an example of how, you know, we're, we're taught our orientation in this country and we embody it. And so we have to really kind of like work on that. I think that that's a big part of um, Pan-Africanism as well. Um, I think the future uh, for me, I I really want to build out and 
you know, and please excuse my ignorance because I don't, you know, I don't know everything because <laughs> I, I don't know if there's things like this already happening. Mm-hmm. But I want to, and if there is, I want to connect with those folks. But I want to really start organizing around like the issues that we're working on here locally, connecting with folks in the diaspora that are working on similar things and like building collective strategy um, in particular for like reparations, because I think, you know, that's a big fight here in the United States Mm -hmm. is this fight for reparations for black people. And I, you know, but we're not the only ones that deserve reparations, you know? So I think, Mm Uh, we could connect those struggles and like, can we organize and can we build strategy and actually um, craft legislation together uh, for reparations for Haiti, you know, as Mm -hmm. well. So like that's, and that's just one example, but I Mm -hmm. think reparations is something I'm really interested in in organizing around globally, but just um, like right now I'm working on the legislative session here in Nevada and you know, I would love to be like also working on legislation on a global scale, leg- legislation that impacts Black people around the world. So I think for me, I guess that's what the future looks like. And, you know, maybe the future looks like us, you know, all going back to the continent, you know, <laughs> maybe we could just do that. I know we've been talking about it for, you know, centuries now, but mm-hmm. maybe we can actually do it. And I And I think too, with like, you know, the year of return in Ghana. And I know other countries were gearing up to do it as well, like right before the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of Black folks here in the United States are like getting deeper into African spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a friend and comrade, like he just went to Nigeria and got initiated into Ifa. Wow. So like, that's another connection. And so like, yeah, like we, maybe we can just all go back and um, build, um, build on, build back on the continent mm-hmm. as well. That's a, I think that's a Pan-African abolitionist future that is a possibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I definitely, I definitely hear that. Towards the beginning, you kind of mentioned the difference between like, pan-africanism as an ad like a political the political side and then it as a way of life and I just found that interesting because I say quite a lot to people that a lot of us are pan-african and behave with pan-african thought and don't even realize it Mm -hmm. because you know we associate pan-africanism with like you know intelligent people and scholars and you know so we feel like we don't fit into that world when really and truly we live a pan-africanist life in so many different ways on a daily basis and don't even realize it you know rooting for black people um uplifting black people connecting and building relationships with black people across the diaspora those are just little things that are also part of the pan-african way of life and I think that we should champion that and and um, shine a light on that more often because I think definitely I think it is is definitely something to to, to note down and, and encourage because once we cultivate that and we build on that I think more people will expand it beyond those means and feel like it will feel like it's more accessible because I feel like a lot of people think plenty of things are not accessible but they don't realize that it's actually not as complex as this you know they deemed it so yeah yeah that's that's so true like I that's me you know (laughs) like (laughs) literally like I was very I mean as much as I was like trying to connect with black people across the diaspora I never called myself like a pan-african and like a pan-africanist or um Mm -hmm. even use that term because I was like oh no that's like you know, Kwame Nkrumah, and that's mm-hmm. like, you know, Malcolm X, like, I'm not to that level yet, you mm-hmm. know, but, um, but yeah, and I, and that's why I said it's, it's me real, like, that is how my ideology has shifted, realizing that it is, it's actually already in me, yeah, I just have to connect to it, and just, you know, the, I, 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 I always talk about with the Black folks here, that I, especially the ones that I work with, like, 
you know, you have to pay attention to what resonates with you, like mm -hmm. what feels good in your soul. And like, mm -hmm. for me, it feels good in my soul. That's how I know, okay, this is already in me. You know, mm -hmm. I lived for a time in, in Panama. And when I was there, it just, it just felt right. It just felt um, good being in community with black folks in another country, mm -hmm. um, you know, in Central America. And then, um, you know, I always, I'm like, okay, I want to go build with black folks in Barbados, or I want to go build with uh, the comrades in Freetown, Sierra Leone, or whatever the case is. It's like, it just, it, it makes my, it's, it's like a setting feeling in my body and mm -hmm. like paying attention to that. That's how I know it's like, okay, this Pan-Africanism is definitely in my DNA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. I agree with that. I feel like we, we feel it inside ourselves, but sometimes we get discouraged based on um, what we've seen. And I think that's what discourages a lot of people from even getting involved in black liberation and, and, and movements because they feel like you have to be so, so well read and you have to know all these things and you have to even go to school for these things. But it's like, no, you're probably living the life already and doing the work already and not realizing it or discrediting yourself because you feel like, you're not worthy because mm -hmm. you're not a Malcolm X, you're not a Martin Luther King, you're not a Marcus Garvey, you're not an Angela Davis. But right. truthfully, there's so many people that had such a huge impact on the movement that were not scholars or didn't read well or never wrote books or um, think pieces or anything really. And all those people are just as important, I think. So yeah I think we do need to do more work I think that that's also to do with um that comes with the whole like white supremacist ideologies that we've internalized as well you know you feel like you're not worthy if you're not x y and z but the truth is we all are worthy but I I, I want to ask you now what impact does pan-africanism have on your daily life I think it's pretty much everything we were just saying is like really trying to uh, leave my my footprint in the world as like an African in the diaspora and I think like just daily life just like being conscious of it and um, you know I had this I have this thing where I'm like really stuck on where I'm really stuck on Africanisms so it's like just understanding like the food connections like that's kind of like where it started for me was mm -hmm. like okay you know if I'm eating, for instance, like jambalaya, you know, mm -hmm. I started doing like going down the rabbit hole on jambalaya and I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. that was like their version of jollof rice. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I started from there. It's like, I, I started reading about like okra and gumbo. And then I started reading about, um, you know, all of the different foods. Oh, greens, for instance, like mm -hmm. how, you know, they just greens they actually you know that also came from the continent but they just used what they had mm -hmm. and they made it like they prepared it the same way um that they did in west africa and i was like okay so just making those connections i think for me um just it felt like i said it's like a setting feeling in your soul you're like okay yes this is this is for me so it it goes it goes beyond especially because there's a lot of shame around food um mm -hmm. for black people in the united states it's like oh you know that's like slave food yeah like mm -hmm. actually it's not you know so mm -hmm. um and even things like chitlins um have like an african root and so in which i hate chitlins though by the way <laughs> but um, uh, my dad used to make them when we were kids but um yeah, so like getting connected through food, I think for me was um, really profound. And then also language, I'm really trying to um, disconnect from like white supremacy, but also learn about the Africanisms that come through in our language and mm -hmm. in our, even in our like, uh, in our slang. Mm -hmm. So that was something that I, that was really profound for me was, um, learning about the different kind of, I guess, like pigeon or, you know, mm -hmm. Creole, Patois, yeah. like 
Atlantic Creole, which I guess that's what that's what we're calling Ebonics now. <laughs> um, but like how like those things are are like resistance. Like that was actually mm-hmm. um, whole languages, ways that we created to communicate around white folks. And mm-hmm. I think that that's just like for me, it would just it instilled more pride in me, and also like it makes me defend it more. Like you know, here we're always told like. I remember being in line at the store and the the cashier was like a young, is like a teenage black kid. And um, he said finna like to the people in front of the, it was like a white couple that were Mm -hmm. checking out. And he's like, oh, he's, he was just talking to them. He said finna. And they were like correcting him like, oh, Mm -hmm. you know, don't say that, that, you know, like trying to tell him the right language. (laughs) <laughs> and then it's like that is the right language you said it right mm-hmm. finna and so I kind of like interrupted and I was like he said finna and that is fine you know that's mm-hmm. a that's black vernacular you're not going to understand it mm-hmm. and then um you know they went about their way and then you know he was like <laughs> sorry my five-year-old <laughs> woke up now so he's getting in the conversation um as, as he should as he absolutely should um and so but it, his name is Nas too hey say hi <laughs> hello <laughs> um so yeah it's just kind of like he was like yeah thank you but I had to like educate him like you know actually like we created new words like we don't need to be shamed for using them mm-hmm. and so um just things like that I think are that happen in my daily life is just kind of like cultivating a sense of pride and um like in the Africanisms that that kind of manifests just you know being being in the United States as a black person and then um I think also just like being connected like feeling spiritually connected to people you know the black the things that are happening with black people around the globe um so I think that that's something that uh I want to keep it 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 kind of like makes me want to act because I feel it in my body and I feel it in my heart um, when I see, you know, the injustices of Black people globally. Mm-hmm. And so that is kind of like what propels me to keep trying to trying to do this organizing thing. And then um, I think just being intentional about reaching out to Black people in the diaspora. Um, but yeah, just, and then also, um, lastly, I'll just say that like really, um, trying to cultivate importance to my child, you know, I, I'm a single mom, mm-hmm. I have a five-year-old and he just trying to really, um, pour into him and teach him things about Africanism and about, um, his lineage and why it's important and like just cultivating a love of, uh, the continent, I think, um, is also really important because, you know, it's hard to shift minds of adults and of, you know, older people, our generation, it's, it's really difficult. And so it's a lot easier if we just like pour into our kids and teach them differently. Um, and it's, you know, and that's with all things like with Africanism, but also with, um, you know, white supremacy thinking with mm-hmm. uh, abolition, um, you know, how we address harm, all of those things, you know, it's, and it's, I have to also uh, think of, be thinking about it, even in my parenting, you know, it's like, um, mm-hmm. like spanking our kids, for instance, is not African. Mm-hmm. That is not, that comes from, uh, you know, white supremacy once again. So it's like, um and sometimes it's hard <laughs> be like yo can you get it together but um <laughs> but yeah it's just like trying to experiment with different ways of building discipline and really trying to like let him lead on it and let him uh figure things out on his own so those are kind of some of the ways it comes up in my daily life mm-hmm that's that's actually really interesting and I love the way that you do it through I guess you kind of challenge everyday things like food and language I think that's really important I do want to ask which Pan-African has inspired you and why 
Yeah, you know, that was like one of the questions I kind of like struggled with, but <laughs> um, I would say, I think from like a, a large scale, a, like a well-known Pan-Africanist, I would say Marcus Garvey, um, because mm-hmm. Marcus Garvey, you know, he inspired a whole, like a whole city. I'm originally from um, the LA area, California. And, you know, growing up, we used to have Marcus Garvey day. Um, and we had like even a school named after him. And it was just, I, I think that that imp- put an impression upon me as a youngster um, that, you know, Africa was not this bad thing where like, it was like something like to be ashamed of to be African. And um, the concept of, you know, all of us taking, you know, our intellectual property, taking our music, our food, our um, literature, just taking everything that we've created as black people, which I mean, is pretty much everything. Um, in the world, uh, taking it and going back to Africa and building there. So we were, uh, that's something that really inspired me and that's something I still think about today, um, which is literally like, what would that look like? Just uh, kind of digging up all of our, everything that is ours and just going back to the continent and building there. Um, So, Definitely, I think he had the most influence on me and my organizing, especially because that's something that's still kind of at the forefront of my mind. And then I also would just say, like, you know, just regular Black people who they might not even know that they are kind of like manifesting Africanism. They don't even know that what they're doing is African. Um, but they're doing it. And especially like growing up in the black church, um, you know, when people like dance in the aisles and like get the Holy ghost, like that was also African. And I think, um, you know, I used to uh, sing in the choir as a child. And so I think seeing those things also, um, had like a big influence on me and learning later in life that, you know, about the, kind of like the roots of the black church and how those things are, are connected to Africanism, I think um, just like validated it for me. Um, so yeah, I would say the black church and um, Marcus Garvey. I think that's a great answer to be, to be very honest. I think you definitely highlighted some great points. How does your Pan-African identity reflect itself your art forms yeah um so one of my goals is I'm, I'm right now I'm trying to create a container for myself to write I've been you know organizing for years and so I'm at this point where I, I want to build out a diaspora organizing model but at the same time like I want to create kind of like a machine that can keep going and then I could step outside of that and just work on my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to create a container where I can just uh, do research and write. And so that what that looks like for me is um, researching uh, African spirituality specifically, how it shows up in um, kind of the Black church and just like uh, the different iterations of the black church and then also how it shows up in like um kind of the african spirituality that kind of was created here in the united states so for instance hoodoo um really investigating those things and then writing about it but i I still want to write fiction so it would be um kind of like historical fiction Um, writing a series of books about that and then um, manifesting it into film. Uh, So that's kind of like my little side project (laughs) that is like um, really important to me. And that's kind of like the thing that brings me joy. And I I still see it as a part of movement. 
um, and as a part of kind of like uh, propelling us towards Pan-Africanism and um, connecting Black people with the, the diaspora and the continent. So I definitely, that's something that I'm really uh, passionate about. And then I'm also an artist. Um, I draw and paint. And so I also just, I've been doing a lot of work around um, kind of, I guess it's like illustrating movement. So it's like describing the work because when I do, as an organizer, it's always like when you talk to funders or when you talk to, you know, the board and stuff like that, they always want you to um, describe your work. And mm -hmm. then it's like, it's really hard to kind of just like write bullet points or write an outline of like everything you've done. So I've just been drawing it. Um, so that's something that I'm kind of working on now where I just, you know, and some, and sometimes it's really good. And sometimes I just like literally get my son's crowns and just color, you know? So um, that I would say is like creative writing, uh, historical fiction, and definitely um, art, art to describe what's happening right now in the United States. I think that's really, really cool. And I love how you bring it back to your son as well and you get him involved because it's very important to pre um, prepare like the next few generations for, I guess it's all about passing passing the baton at the end of the day. And mm -hmm. I just think it's great that you, you're doing that, like even from now at, you know, for him being quite young, I think that's very, very important. I want to ask, how does Pan-Africanism link with other liberation movements, for example, anti-racism, climate, anti-capitalist, Black feminism, internationalism? I think that, um, I guess I see it as Pan-Africanism is like a part, is, is kind of like a vein within these movements, these liberation movements. I think in particular here in the United States, we have to really uh, cultivate that more because in certain areas, so like anti-racism, um, black feminist thought, um, you know, movements to end mass incarceration and, you know, dismantle the criminal justice system. I think those are spaces where pan-Africanism, that vein is, is kind of already flowing, but like, in the climate fight, for instance, that's like a, a really white organizing space and it shouldn't be mm -hmm. like yep. black folks really mm -hmm. should be involved in that. Um, especially because we're living the consequences of like environmental racism yep. and redlining and all those things. Like, you know, I was just having a conversation yesterday about how, um, you know, it's by design that like so many kids in my neighborhood have asthma um, you know, mm -hmm. these are mostly black and brown kids have asthma, have to carry inhalers. And it, it's like directly correlated to like our positionality to the freeway and those uh, kind of like fumes that come from cars directly into our neighborhood. And they actually built it that way purposefully. So it's like, we have to think about climate and think about environmental uh, justice like in a broader frame and really like we have to start thinking about like pollution and how like here in Las Vegas it's there's like the weather is horrible like it's really super hot and it, it can get up to 120 degrees in the summer which I just found out yesterday is would be 48 celsius for y'all because <laughs> like we had to do this whole google thing where we were like trying to translate this the weather yeah but it gets so hot like and also like within 10 years there's been research on this that isn't going to be sustainable for life so like what does that look like for black communities here you know so thinking about those things and um I think that there is space to bring pan-africanism into more like into those movements and into those conversations but I think it's just something that we have to work on um intentionally but um, like in mass incarceration in particular, um, I think that the 
like pan-African thought is there. And, um, you know, I think maybe it's more of like a mobilization, um, a mobilization arm. And I think that we need to like build out an actual organizing plan, an actual a strategy across continents. Um, so like I said, to start doing things around legislation, around reparations, um, and around, uh, you know, policing. Um, policing is a problem pretty much everywhere there's Black people. Um, and so like, those are things I think that we can kind of build on. I think it's great that you mentioned the climate space and how it's kind of dominated by white middle-class people when it hugely affects black and brown communities. Yeah, I'm really happy that you you brought that to the forefront. I want to ask, can we unite the diaspora under Pan-African ideals and how can we make it appeal to the younger generation? Um, I think one is just like using technology, um, which it's a little hard with um, like the time difference, but like, I, I think it was, it's an opportunity now that kind of like uh, COVID has forced everything to kind of be virtual. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that has, it's like a double-edged sword. It, it has a good, it has, it has its good and it has its bad. But I think it would be, it is an opportunity for us to start doing more intentional organizing digitally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that can just look like, you know, conversations like these with um, broader sets of people. And especially um, after the uprising in 2020, it's like, there's so many young people that are like wanting to know what else they can do. Like that came, you know, young folks came out the woodworks um, over the summer. Like I remember, you know, I went to like, two or three protests and then I was like okay like I'll help with the digital part because like Mm -hmm. I'm tired I'm not about to be doing all this walking so Mm -hmm. like the young people though like you know they were they would walk like six seven eight miles like you know back and forth back and forth and be ready for more the next day so Mm -hmm. um young people really uh help sustain that they're the ones that help sustain those protests over you know a four or five month period, they help keep it going and they're still keeping it going, you know, here locally. So I think um, doing some virtual conversations with comrades in other countries, we could start there. Um, But I think we we just have to be, we have to just make it a priority um, in our organizing and in our movement. Um, That's one thing. And then I think again, like focusing on young people, um you know not just like young organizers but like kids um really Mm -hmm. starting to deprogram them now you know and um teach them um africanisms and teach them kind of like pan-african theory and uh (laughs) to the extent to which they can understand you know now while they're young so that's just kind of like already ingrained in them Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that I think those two things combined will help hopefully, you know, make it so that um, it's going to be the norm for kids growing up to be kind of centered in Pan-Africanism. And then um, the young people will kind of carry on the fight and uh, pick up the baton and hopefully help us bring everything to fruition. I think with movement, Huey P. Newton said, like, the young will inherit the movement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that we have to give it to them and we have to give them everything. You know, Mm -hmm. we have we can't just give them, you know, the protesting. We can't just give them how to dismantle systems or go up against the police. We have to give them um, the broader range of movement, which includes, uh, you know, connecting with our folks in the diaspora and continuing to build that. Mm A hundred percent. Um, like you said, we literally need to, you know, pass it on to the to the next generation. And quite quite literally, as Nipsey Hussle famously said, the marathon continues. Like it's very literal. You know, you have to prep the next generation and the next and the next to sustain these movements. Um, and just to round off, um, 
I would like you to finish this sentence for me. To live without Pan-Africanism means? To live without restoration. And I really believe that like black folks that we have to be restored, you know, on a spiritual level, on, um, and you know, uh, on a academic or educational level, uh, we have to be restored economically and we have to be restored with everything that was taken from us. Um, and that includes our heritage, that includes our connection to the continent and, and our connection to our identity. So um, yeah, to live without Pan-Africanism is to live without, you know, ever being restored. Mm, I think that's a very, a very important thing to say because I feel like, and one thing that like, us here at, at TNA, um, Tribe Named Athari, like we we noticed from last summer is that we're constantly immersed in trauma. And one thing that happens mm-hmm. is there's rarely spaces for us to heal because we're always on the go doing back to back to back, you know, and we need to create spaces and be loving to each other and, you know, cultivate a space of healing and restoration within the diaspora and within our communities so um i think that was such a great answer to be quite honest i'm so grateful that you could participate because your perspective has been completely unique to many of the other people that we've been speaking to and it's important to have that unique perspective because to unite across the diaspora is to communicate with people who grew up differently but also have similar um have things in common And it's all about listening and communicating in a way that Mm -hmm. we can, you know, we can compromise with each other and also come to conclusions to help to progress at the end of the day. So thank you so much for taking part in this. It means a a whole lot to us. Thank you for having me. And that's dope. I'm glad my my perspective was unique. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, I'm just super excited to have been included you know I've been you know really trying to connect with folks around the world and and talk about these things for a while now so it's just y'all are just a blessing and I'm I want to definitely stay connected I'm just really grateful um that y'all you know we made the time um because I know it's like the time difference really because I just actually learned about the time difference (laughs) so I was like they had because someone's like okay it's London time is eight hours. So I was like trying to figure it out. It was, it was a lot, mm-hmm. but um, I just really appreciate y'all. Thank you. I'm glad we could make it work. 